For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Uh, tonight we continue the 25 years episodes, and this is a, a very important topic in Ravens history, the salary cap purge of 2001 and how the team was very quickly turned around in one of the gr- first really great uh, GMing moments. There have been a lot. Maybe, maybe it's unfair to call it the first, but uh, here to discuss it with me is Spencer Peterson. Spencer, uh, first of all, where can people talk football with you? So mainly on Twitter, uh, my handle is SpencerCP. I'm sure you'll put it in the the show notes, but uh, mostly on Twitter. All right. That's great. Uh, This is a cool spreadsheet you put together for this. And I kind of want to see that people get shared this shared with. I wonder if you can find a way to Google Doc this or or, or somehow put it out there for folks. But uh, maybe even just a picture would be good to to go with the the episode itself. But the, the, the 2000 team, of course, won the Super Bowl. Uh, they were already in cap trouble. We had Brian McFarland talk about that on the show in terms of, of uh, some problems they were having. Uh, the 2001 team, still very good. They really wanted to get the band back together for one more time, particularly the great defense. But they also said, OK, we're, we're, we're without a starting quarterback, so let's go out and get that. They got some other uh, free agents as well. Uh, from there, they had to. They knew it was going to be only a one-year deal. And Billick, very early after you know, a couple of playoff seasons, was able to call for a rebuilding year. So, Spencer, to, to kind of take us through this process here in terms of, of how that came to pass. Absolutely. So, as you mentioned, uh, they were in salary cap trouble. 
entered the offseason well over the cap. I believe they had to cut something like $25 million or so against a $70 million cap. Uh, you know, really, really big trouble there. Uh, so a couple different flavors here. There's about eight or nine players they outright released. We had some that were non-tendered, so restricted free agents that they could have uh, put a tender on but decided not to. Unrestricted free agents that they let walk out the door, um, some of who in other circumstances they probably would have liked to keep. Then finally, a, a sort of quirk of this year is that you had the expansion draft where they were able to expose a couple players and have the uh, newly formed Houston Texans take a couple contracts off their hands. Actually, we're kind of fortunate in that way, at least with uh, with one of those contracts. Uh, so let's, uh, let's let's talk through it in whatever way you'd like to. Where would you like to start? So maybe it makes sense to start with the cuts or the outright releases, which is probably our biggest uh, bucket here. Uh, you know, the first one, big name, Elvis Gerback, the Pro Bowl quarterback from uh, 2000 that they brought in, uh, hoping to uh, jumpstart the offense, released after a single year. A couple other names here, you know, a, a lot of big names. These weren't just dead weight at the end of their contracts. You had Shannon Sharp, Rod Woodson, Kadri Ishmael, uh, Sam Gash, Rob Burnett, Sam Adams, Kip Vickers, Larry Webster, Leon Searcy, and then Tony Siragusa was actually a retirement, but probably would have been released had he not, uh, had he not right. retired. That's, that's just an outrageously talented group of players. I don't even know how many total Pro Bowls there are on there, but not an insignificant number, either with the Ravens or with all teams. Included most of the great free agent uh, players of the two, 1997 to 2000 era for Ozzy, or of 2001, frankly, too. But the 2001 free agent class wasn't that good. The ones before that were all amazing. Yeah, and it's... Uh, it's something that's interesting is typically we think of those early Ravens teams being built through the draft. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that Super Bowl roster, though, heavily supplemented through some really key free agent acquisitions. Yeah, and uh, amazing ones. I mean, uh, you know, you look at, at Shannon Sharp certainly was a very big name, but Rod Woodson was a great pickup. Tony Siragusa, a great pickup. Sam Adams, a very key player. Uh, it, it, was a, it was a large group. I haven't gotten everybody there. Corey Harris, uh, also kind of a key pickup for, uh, for value. Uh, certainly is the dime back on that 2000 team. A, a, a great set of players, no doubt about it. And and Elvis Gerback, I think, deserves special mention because he actually signed a five-year deal for, with the Ravens. But the way it was structured was it would either be a one- or a five-year deal, meaning he had a big roster bonus coming year two. Uh, Gerback had obviously a bad 01, but he was also troubled by by the you know events of the world in 9-11. Can't blame him for that. And was really never the same after that. Yeah, it's interesting about the contract structure. You know, it's something that was a little unique at the time, but uh, you actually saw a resurgence of that in the last maybe half decade or so. I think there's a couple quarterbacks, and I don't want to, I may be mixing up some of the names, but I believe Colin Kaepernick was one. I think Andy Dalton might have been a guy who had something similar where it was a big deal that if he had only played one year, it would have been uh, able to get out of it pretty easily. But it's a, it's definitely a contract structure that I think was a little more common in maybe the last five years or so with kind of second-tier quarterbacks that were getting uh, what seemed like big extensions. Yeah, I, I can hear Spencer has got the gift, uh, as I call it. But uh, you know, the good cap people always can look at a contract and immediately talk about how much guaranteed money there is and, and where the obvious out is for a team. So sometimes a two-year deal for $16 million is, well, it's a one-year $10 million deal or it's a two-year $16 million deal. Uh, and and you know it's even an option for the second year at $6 million or whatever. But I always think of contracts now like that instead of, uh, really, uh, the, the total dollars and AAV are, are not the factor anymore. 
it sounds like you may have a uh, certain offensive tackle on the brain when you bring up uh, two years, 16 million. That's actually 10 yes. years for one. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, we, uh, we have that guy, I think, in common. I think that that's going to come to fruition, unfortunately. Uh, other players in this group who, who uh, uh, you know, it was a lot of losses. There were a lot of losses on that great defense. Um, one of the things you notice is the defensive line really took a heavy hit because Siragusa, Webster, and Adams all left at the same time. Now, they did keep Bulware and they did keep McCrary for one more year, I believe. He was not around in 2003, if I recall, or if he was, he was hurt. Uh, I believe 2002 was the final year of his career, uh, and he did not do much in 2002. Uh, I'm not sure if there was an injury, but uh, he did not do much. Um, yeah, and, and speaking of that defensive line group, it's interesting. I believe from 2001 to 2002, there was a pivot from a 4-3 to a 3-4 base defense, um, if I'm not mistaken. I believe yeah, that's, that's when correct. it happened. And although we lost a lot of, uh, a lot of talent, a lot of, of contributors from that defensive line, there's a lot of names that, that really made their mark uh, in 2002. I think Anthony Weaver, it was his first year, and then you yep. had Kelly Gregg and Adelis Thomas, who were carryovers, who... Uh, was their first year starting or getting meaningful time on that defensive line. So lost a lot of contribution, but, you know, it was a, an opportunity. And that's something we'll, we'll get out, get through um, as we talk through this. Uh, a lot of guys who were able to uh, get early playing time in their career that would pay dividends in the, the ensuing years. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. I think that's the, that's the most key point of this. The 2001 defensive line uh, was one of the deepest in NFL history. Um, they, they had all sorts of people who stayed around or didn't, but, uh, uh, Douglas, Marquise Douglas was already on that team. Kelly Gregg was a situational pass rusher in 2001. They had Syracuse and Adams. They didn't need additional run stuffers on early down. That's what we came to know Greg as, as a, as an early down player, not a, not a late down player, but, uh, but he was rushing the passer in 2001. Uh, Kimo uh, who would go on to, to have a fairly long career in the NFL, was an undrafted free agent rookie in 2002 and uh, ended up being quite a good player. Uh, the uh, I'm trying to think of the other people who were already on that on that roster. You already mentioned Thomas, who would make his name really as a linebacker later on, but he came to the Ravens as a defensive tackle. Yeah, and I believe 2002 he actually played as a uh, a 3-4 end, which yeah. you know was kind of the midpoint of his transition from a defensive tackle to an outside linebacker to every position on the field. Yes, yes, to a strong safety. <laughs> to a cornerback, uh, yeah, uh, slot corner at some point. Yeah. And... yeah, it's uh it is an impressive uh certainly a really impressive career for Adalis that that's had, had its own episode. Um you know, one of those things about this and the, and obviously with the losing of Woodson and um Rob Burnett as well on the defensive line, uh great teams and particularly great defensive teams, I I think don't really fear change in that same way. They know that there's other options uh, uh, coming in the next round of players. Absolutely. So one guy we already talked about a little bit was Shannon Sharp, who would actually go on to have two more decent years with Denver. But obviously the team knew that their first rounder from 2001, uh, Todd mm-hmm. Heap, they had waiting in the wings, who would, you know, in 2002 actually make uh, the first of his two Pro Bowls um, on a very high target number. Uh, I think he had 68 catches on 122 targets. So, not a great success right there. I think that might have had more to do with the quarterbacks in 2002, though, than it did uh, Todd Heap. Yeah, yeah, probably a good chance on that. Uh, you know, he had some 
uh, he did not have a franchise quarterback either for quite a while. So we got to look at it both ways in terms of the coach and the quarterback not having that guy. Um, you know, one area that wasn't really too affected by this was the offensive line. Uh, so John Ogden was kept. Uh, Kip Vickers, I don't think anyone would, would call a particularly large uh, loss. Uh, and, uh, other offensive linemen, um, it's not like they had a great group, but they did have Edwin Mulatalo and Ogden. They at least were, were stable on the left side. Yeah, and Edwin Mulatalo was actually, I believe, a restricted free agent that they did choose to tender. So uh, in the decision-making process of this offseason, it you know, seemed like they made a good, good decision there of, of where they were allocating money. All right. I've forgotten the year. I thought he was a 99 draftee, right? 2002, I guess that could have been the year, or was it a fifth year for the year? No, they might have had a fourth year still. Okay. Uh, I think he was a slightly later pick, so I'm not sure exactly how the base contracts worked, but I -hmm. believe he was a a restricted free agent headed into 2002. Okay. I I certainly certainly trust you on that one. Um, Sam Gash, the Ravens have always been able to find a fullback, not a huge loss, even though he was good. Um, they, they certainly came up with, I, I guess, Alan Ricard might have been their next guy, or did they have another guy in between? But he, he blocked uh, for Lewis in 2003. So, yes, Ricard was the next guy that came through. He was the 2002 replacement. But an interesting quirk when I was looking back through the roster, um, so we just mentioned Sam Gash was the guy they lost uh, via cut. In this next group, we're about to talk about uh, some of the non-tendered guys. Uh, was Femi Ayambadejo. It was a fullback mm-hmm. they had on the roster. So I, I wanted to check if there was maybe some sort of, you know, practice squad injury replacement or something like that going on. But uh, a very different era in terms of roster construction. You had Femi Ayambadejo, Sam Gash, and Alan Ricard for at least five games of that right. uh, 2001 season that they were all on the roster. So three fullbacks on the 53. It's very, very unusual. I agree. And they, they used fullbacks on special teams a lot more in that area. They green the fullback they kept on the on the on the roster for years as a second fullback. And I was like, you know, how can they do that? They can't do that today, obviously. But uh, but yeah, things things certainly have changed. Yeah. So getting into that next group, I guess, uh, of non-tendered uh, guys. So Femi Ayamadejo is one. Two of the other significant ones. Brad Jackson was a rotational linebacker went on to have one sort of nondescript season with Carolina. Then Danny Knight was actually a kickoff specialist in 2001. So not only only did they have three fullbacks, they had two, two place kickers. Um, But uh, it was interesting. So Danny Knight was their kickoff specialist. They actually had Stover handle the kickoffs in 2002 and uh, kind of, I believe they went back to actually having a kickoff specialist in the years following Part of that was probably that uh, I was looking at the numbers and Stover had one touchback on 40 kickoffs, which uh, amazing is, is not great. <laughs> yeah. And it, Wade Ritchie then they, they got back to uh, eventually. Right? Um, yeah. I think Wade Ritchie maybe came in in 2003, but I'm not I'm not sure exactly. But yeah, Danny Knight was uh, I believe had six touchbacks on 48 kickoffs. So so not great when you, you think of it with uh, Justin Tucker standards, but, um, you know, better than what what Stover was doing. Right. Now, now, this next group, I'm really interested in that, that group obviously hurts. Femi Ayambadejo, by the way, was certainly a player who was exciting in terms of what he might have brought up to the offense, particularly in early 2000, what he did, that Jacksonville game. He'd done some very positive things. Uh, but then he got hurt and he wasn't really seen again. Uh, we hear him now on Ravens broadcasts. And the guy's obviously has some sort of math degree or, or math background because he uses a lot of mathematical terms. 
in his in his natural speaking. It's very funny to hear. I'm sure that's something you definitely key in on, given your background, Ken. A uh, little bit, but uh, but it's uh, you know it, 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 regression to the mean comes up from time to time and things like that. It's just it's just like wait a minute here. <laughs> You're assuming uh, you know a level of knowledge in the audience that you don't necessarily always get. But anyway, it's uh, uh, that's good for that group, the non-tender. The, so the UDFA's, you you going to go through those? Yeah, so there were quite a few unrestricted free agents that they let walk. So Corey Harris was one you mentioned earlier that had been a previous free agent signing. Uh, Kyle Richardson was their punter. Uh, they had Randall Cunningham on the roster, who that was his last year in the league. Uh, Patrick Johnson, a former high draftee. And then Dwayne Starks, who has come up, I believe, the last time we spoke. I've heard him come up on a few other of these. Oh, yeah. He's an interesting kind of raven to remember, uh, but had a really good season. I mean, he had a, a great four seasons to start his yeah. career in Baltimore. But that uh, 2001 year, I believe it was one of his lowest, it was his lowest interception total. Uh, in his time in Baltimore, but four interceptions, four forced fumbles, 63 tackles, not a lot more you can ask for from a corner. Yeah, I imagine. And, and that, that really is his low turnover total. The year before in 2000, he had nine picks, including the playoffs. He had six in the regular season, the three in the playoffs, and including really the play, I think, of sealing the game. And it turned out to be for the first time against the Giants. And they, then they ran a kickoff back and we ran a kickoff back. And, you know, it gave us uh, uh, it gave us that comfortable lead again at 24 to 7. But Starks's pickoff was really something immediately. Uh, you know, I was out of my seat saying we're going to be world champions at that at that moment. Yeah, absolutely. I think like you mentioned earlier, though, one thing was, uh, you know, well-run teams sort of know what they have in the wings. And mm-hmm. they did have... Uh, Dwayne Starks was was a, a loss, obviously. Mm-hmm. His career after Baltimore wouldn't turn out to be much, but you know that doesn't take away from his time in Baltimore. But the front office had drafted Gary Baxter in the second round, I believe, a year earlier, and mm-hmm. he ended up being you know a, a very strong replacement, particularly not having to pay free agent level prices for him. Sure. Um, sure. And so that was that was an, a guy that uh, was waiting in the wings. Uh, and we talked about Rod Woodson earlier. So Corey Harris was a guy who, again, left via free agency. So they lost both of their starting safeties. Two guys we haven't talked about yet that they had waiting, not waiting in the wings, but they drafted in 2002, rather, where Ed Reed was the, the top of the draft, and then Will Demps mm-hmm. signed as a uh, undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. So kind of both ends of the spectrum there to come in, the, their number one pick and then a, an undrafted guy, but is, you know, couldn't ask for much more in terms of replacements. No, that's a fantastic group, uh, obviously, at the safety position. And Ed Reed replacing any number of these players would probably be a trade you'd make in a heartbeat. But Will Demps was was a terrific player. And, and we just did a show today on the guys who played with Ed Reed at strong safety. And, you know, Ed Reed was here for, what, 11 years. And it's amazing how few guys there were in total. There's really, of guys who had any significant playing time, it's Will Demps. Uh, it is... Uh, uh, I'm blanking here on this. Landry, um, Ron Landry for for five years, and then it's Bernard Pollard for two years. And you know the 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 next guy on that list in terms of significance of play might be about 265 snaps from Adelis Thomas at, at uh, as a uh, in in terms of of uh, plays that were with three. Uh, defensive backs in 2005. So you really don't have much in the way of people who ever played next to Ed Reed. But Demps was a good one, and uh, and he stayed around for a while. Uh, people didn't think that Landry was a safe pick to get a fifth-round guy to come in, and that's all they have as the backup safety goal. It turned out he was great, too. And, uh, you know, it really worked out. The, the, the good teams – it was one of the things the Ravens have never had trouble getting 
is this, the the strong safety position. They've always been very good at it. They draft as late as they want, draft dimes whenever they want. Uh, they were always able to find them, ferret them out, and and build system players out of players who were uh, you know short area coverage guys as opposed to, to to deep guys. All teams have trouble finding the next Ed Reed. So it's not like like the Ravens are any different from other teams. You really have to usually commit a very high round pick to that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's a good segue uh, maybe to our next and final se- uh, set of guys here. Uh, so again, I think we mentioned it at the top of the show, but sort of a unique uh, bucket for this offseason was the expansion draft where teams were able to uh, protect a certain number of players uh, on their roster or conversely make a certain number available. And uh, the expansion Texans were able to go through and select contracts from, from teams. The two guys that were uh, the two players that were selected by the the Texans. You had Jamie Sharper, the linebacker, and Jermaine Lewis, the nominal wide receiver, but really kick returner, punt returner. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those were both substantial contracts, I believe. Uh, Jermaine Lewis coming off uh, a Pro Bowl season as a returner, the averages he had both as a kick returner and punt returner way down post post Ravens. Mm-hmm. Jamie Sharper, though, you know, very strong play in. Baltimore in his final year, he had six sacks, 12 passes yeah. defense, which is really something for a linebacker. Yeah, it's it's an amazing total. And Jamie Sharper actually was part of that defensive change in 01. The Ravens had, had been a quarter team and a dime team. Uh, but their dime was a very traditional 41 dime. They also played a 31 quarter where they only had three men at the line of scrimmage, Ray Lewis also in that group. And then they had seven defensive backs, including Bailey, Trapp, and Harris, uh, in addition to the big four. Well, in 01, they changed. And Marvin Lewis said, we can keep Jamie Sharper on the field. And they played a lot of 32 dime instead. It's the only Ravens team prior to 2021 that has done so. They had some snaps earlier this year where they're playing some 32 dime again. So very unusual. Uh, and, and it was all based on his special talents. So this really came to the fore late in 2000, but he was still being taken off the field on most third downs all the way through the Super Bowl. Uh, but, but he had a big pick in Arizona in 2000. I don't know if you remember that 13 to 7 went. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, doesn't stick out. I, w- I was fairly young at this time of uh, these seasons, but uh, I do remember Jamie Sharper, and he, he would end up actually being one of the better players on those early Houston teams mm-hmm. um, for quite a few years there. But uh, you know, continuing the theme that we've talked about pretty consistently here, uh, Ravens had, had a player who was ready to step in in 2002. Ed Hartwell, who had been a part of that 2001 draft, uh, was able to come in and, and be a very strong linebacker alongside Ray Lewis, um, who was out for part of that 2002 year, but then, you know, 2003, very strong defense. Yeah. So Hartwell played on both those teams, but he actually took the green dot from Lewis when, when he got injured in 2002. Lewis was off to perhaps his best year through four games, just playing incredibly well, uh, dominating week after week. At, but uh, Hartwell took the job then, took the green dot with it, and he was playing every snap there uh, during that 2002 season when Ray was out. Still... Uh, kind of burned into my memory. I think it's when he left. I believe it was for the Atlanta Falcons. I don't have it in front of me here. But uh, I believe Ed Hardwell made a comment that he was uh, he was the, the straw that was stirring the drink, so to speak, uh, between <laughs> him and Ray Lewis. And I, I don't think that comment aged very well. No. No, he didn't. He didn't play all that well for Atlanta. A lot of a lot of people 
considered him a system player, uh, you know, as soon as he left, probably not, they were probably upset to lose him at the time, but then it really cast a pall on some of the other Ravens UDFA linebackers like LRB and McLean and such who, who uh, had been effective with the Ravens, but weren't as effective on their next stops. Yeah. And was Bart Scott on that 2002 team or? Yes, he was. He, he played played a lot in the dime and he might have played in the nickel on third down as a second linebacker sometimes. But he got he got significant playing time. He's an odd career because he got significant play time in 02. And then 03, they, they, you know, the Hartwell and Lewis took basically every snap at inside linebacker. They didn't have a place to put Scott. So he, he only played a few snaps. Uh, and then he was back again to play regularly um, in 04 a little bit, 05 a lot, and 06 uh, as the was the AFC Defensive Player of the Month in September and ended up, ended up getting nine-plus sacks in, in that year. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so a, a lot of talent left this roster. Uh, one of the really notable things about that 2002 team, so we, we talked about a lot of the great young players that uh, were able to get their start with that roster. Uh this was in my memory, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't misremembering it. And uh, I believe the Washington Post actually was where I verified this. But youngest roster on opening day in NFL history, apparently, was mm-hmm. that 2002 team, which uh, you know is, is is really something when you think about it. Yeah, it's it's certainly hard to do. So they had a lot of lot of draft picks, a lot of undrafted free agents who made that team. I'd like to see the list of all the UDFA's that made the team in 02 because it, it may not be in numbers the greatest but it, in terms of importance it's very significant to get Kimoyatu and Demps you know a couple starters out of the UDFA ranks in in one season I'm trying to try I'd like to know who else they got in that UDFA class wouldn't it surprise me if Ricard maybe a UDFA he was but he was earlier so he was already on the uh one team I believe he was already yes he was already on the one team because that was part of that three fullbacks on the roster for at least uh at least five weeks there all right. All right. Well, this is great stuff. Uh, is is there anything else about this group or the transition you want to talk about? I mean, because I think that's kind of the story is the, the, the Ravens were a seven and nine team in 2002. They had not only a new defense, they had a new defensive coordinator in Mike Nolan. They lost Marvin Lewis for one year to that money deal in Washington before he got his head first head coaching gig in um, Cincinnati, of course. Uh, but but they they had new coaching and they still made this work um, in terms of having a, a, a good defense uh, or defense got turned around pretty quickly with with youth in 2002 that stuck in the playoff team I love that team by the way the 2002 team they fought like hell uh, they got a lot of breaks in terms of what was happening on special teams and they were there with two weeks to play we really couldn't ask for more in a purge than that absolutely and uh, I would say on top of that just you see teams go into rebuilding and there's a, a couple year cycle that it typically involves, but with how deep this, uh, this purge was, it, it's amazing how quickly they, they rebounded. If you look at the, the seasons, you know, starting in 2000, which obviously great historic team there, uh, that, that team was 12 and four had a 168 point differential. You go to 2001, that was a 10 and six team, a 38 point differential. 2002, uh, the seven and nine team that we're talking about right now, negative 38 point differential. Mm-hmm. So you, you've slid down uh, pretty substantially here. And then 2003, they're back to a positive 110 in a, yep. a 10 and six season where they won the division. So incredibly fast rebound. And, and again, a lot of these young players that were getting time with that 2002 team really set the stage for a strong roster in the early to mid 2000s. And um, 
you think about 2003, they add Terrell Suggs, they add some other strong players. They make the trade up to get uh, Kyle Bowler. If, if they had been able to get any semblance of strong quarterback play, it, you know, they could have had another title with that roster. Yeah, or, or if they'd even gone cheap and right. stuck with, say, a Jeff Blake during that era, and uh, instead of instead of trading away the pick for that that ended up becoming Vince Wilfork, it getting did. Vince Wilfork, right? <laughs> so that would have been uh, kind of nice. Yeah, even if uh, if Chris Redman had been able to be, you know, Andy Dalton or something like that, uh, that could have been been something. Um, you know, I, I'll admit I was I was one of the guys holding out hope that uh, you know when when Kyle Bowler had that performance against i think it was the packers and then the vikings and either back-to-back mm-hmm. or two weeks and two two games in three weeks or whatever it was mm-hmm. uh that you know he had turned the corner and unfortunately uh was not the case yeah that was it that was in 05 december of 05 and then they quickly uh got mcnair in, in the building in 06 after the the titans wouldn't let him in their building <laughs> and, uh, right uh that was uh that was a good that was a good change bowler uh <laughs> it's just funny because we're doing a lot of overlapping pods there's a lot of things that come but the career of kyle bowler is a, is a funny one just did a, a a pod on that with john eisenberg i hope people will give a chance because uh he's got some real insights into that bowler apparently is very self-effacing about who he was at the time now and and really said he wasn't ready uh, in, in 2003, but it's 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 amazing that none of the none of the Ravens quarterbacks are really ready. But Anthony Anthony Wright was still able to win uh, at, at the end of that season. Yeah, right. I was just gonna say. I think the last thing I, I want to mention about this is I think it's a really good example. I, I've heard a few guests on your show before, and, and Ravens fans bring this up all the time on Twitter. And I don't want to don't want to uh, compare those two groups necessarily, but folks who say you know the salary cap is a myth or you know don't buy into the uh, the salary cap because they see people restructure deals and you know you can always get around it but uh, i think oftentimes the the consequences of, of salary cap issues are are unseen so people see the ability to maneuver they don't see the moves that the team is not able to make because of salary cap trouble this is a very stark reminder of or a stark example rather of actual tangible you can see the the impact of of you know running up against or or in this case well over the cap um, yeah, it's 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 obviously a very big, difficult, difficult thing to solve. And the Ravens have been you know, fairly close to the line these last couple of years. We thought they probably had a little more room than they did. But then injuries ate up all the cap in 2021. And that's really been a, a, a kind of a sad story of this year. And we see that, that you know, in, if you're not watching, you should be. There's tangible evidence that the Ravens don't even keep 53 on the roster week to week. They're having to make use of the supplemental uh, elevations from the practice squad. Uh, and frankly, for a couple of weeks, COVID elevations for, for Ferguson, because uh, they're free, uh, to try and fill out their their 47-man roster. And they just they, they don't have 53 guys they feel they need to protect in the same way like they would in a normal season. And, and sometimes they're swapping out replacement-level talent at the top of the roster. And this is true. McKenzie now is, I believe he's had both his elevations or if he hasn't, he's, he's going to face the second and they've now got another defensive tackle Mac uh, on the, on the, on the uh, practice squad who they no doubt will elevate twice. And it's just, they're constantly having to play games to save what are fairly trivial amounts of dollars just to make sure they can get through this season. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. All right, it's Spencer, a pleasure to have you on again. Anytime you want, you're, you're, you're welcome on the show. This is very well-researched 
by the way, in addition, so I, I hope we have a way to share this with people who want your spreadsheet here, but I, but I appreciate you putting together something that's this thorough. And uh, I usually have a list of names that are lost and a list of names gained. And, and you've done this a lot more in terms of uh, uh, depth of, of, uh, of, of coverage here. And I hope we get a, get a chance for the, for the fans to, to see this. Uh, tell people again where they can follow you on Twitter or look at any work you might have. Yeah, Twitter's the main way. It's uh, Spencer CP on Twitter. You know, always enjoy talking about Ravens, uh, Orioles in most years, but uh, always enjoy talking about uh, Baltimore sports and, and University of Maryland stuff. So Twitter's probably the best way to find me. All right, terrific. We still have a handful of 25 years pods to, uh, uh, to record. If you want to do one, send me a DM on Twitter. They're open. Narrow topic. We can discuss in about 20 minutes, kind of like this one. This is perfect in terms of, uh, of that. And uh, uh, I'll get right back to you on that. Spencer, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.